Hi, this is Alistair Stewart. And this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining. Or flip it into something that may not be positive, but should at least be productive. Hi, Brock. How are you? I'm awesome. Good. Mostly. Good, good, good. Uh, y- you know what? I've got a, I got a bone to pick. So I've got a problem with my Xbox and my television, and mostly it's with my Xbox and everything, and it's less about my Xbox and more about streaming services. See, there's a fun thing that happened uh, in the last couple of years where streaming services, especially Amazon and Disney Plus and sometimes Netflix uh, and now increasingly HBO and some others, they all decide to set what the output uh, is for your quality uh, based on the highest level of quality they can give you, which makes sense in general. Like uh, if if I can stream a 4K level picture over a lesser thing, like sure, go ahead, check out my internet and my system. Yeah, of course. Uh, the problem is that a lot of these have started uh, for both video and audio separately. Even if they have seven or eight different options on the level of quality, they're just going to go ahead and give you the max. And we hit a point here where the max has, uh, for video, meant that what gets output is almost just a black square uh, video-wise for some things. I've not seen a single Star Wars Disney Plus show that I is doesn't look like I'm going blind in the process. Uh, <laughs> which I, I just sort of feel good that the Dragon Show has people angry about how dark it is because that's how I see a lot of new things. So like the highest level of quality is is nothingness. And now we've reached the point where uh, a lot of these services for newer things are turning on Dolby Atmos, uh, which is not an output level of sound that I have in either my sound bar or my TV itself. So um, what I'm finding that I have to do uh, on some newer video games now, in addition to like a lot of new TV shows and movies, is that I have to jam a goddamn headphone into my controller to actually have audio output. So what I'm saying is the is the new Gotham Knights game is wonderful for me. It's uh it's great to have a big beautiful TV and uh, two squirrely little wired headphones sticking in there. That uh, it is not about me personally complaining about this one issue. It more ties into a thing that I saw this week. There was a thread going around about a guy who like does computer maintenance for people. An elderly person brought him a new laptop they bought, and they're like, why is it running so slow? And he looked at it, and, like, the new laptops that are coming out, like, these companies load them up with their own level of spyware that they call, like, customer interaction stuff. But it's just so weighed down in all this stuff that monitors what they're doing. And he's, as part of this, he was like, yeah, I don't know why once a week you'd need a firmware upgrade for your trackpad. Like, come on, there's a lot of things happening. Anyway, he was like, you know, we... We load down technology with all this stuff, and we make it seem so evil and gray and, and bullshit now that, like, we don't even get that honeymoon period, that excitement period with new technology that we used to have where, like, and I I realize that that's very true. Like, every new phone I get, I, I remember the periods in my life where I'd spend days just being like, oh, shit, this is so cool. It does this, and it takes picture, and I can make my own ringtone, like, fuck. And, like, now it's just, like, I don't know, the, this one has a telescope you can use in outer space, and it also tr- tracks your <laughs> blood oxygen level, and I'm just, like, fine, 
I, I don't know if I'll ever use that. I'm mostly worried about what government agencies and corporations this is being given to. Like, uh, I don't know, we got like a mid-tier Roomba for our house, and my wife's first reaction was like, oh, I've heard that that thing gives location data and mapping of your house to Amazon. And I was like, well, we got to send that one back now. Or we have to accept that just everything. If Amazon wants to know how our living room is laid out, they do at this point. Like, I don't know. There's enough things are spying on us and I hate them all. And like, I, I'm too tired to fight that as well as the many mental health battles I have for myself daily. So this is just sort of a general wrap up of like, Technology, like, there there weren't enough dystopia stories growing up that, like, prepared me for, A, an apocalypse that just slowly was you removing all of your events from your Google calendar a couple of weeks in advance as a pandemic ravaged things. Like, not the disease, not as big a deal to me as, like, oh, uh, things keep going away. There's none of that. And there was nothing that really set up, like, hey... What if technology just kept getting better and more cyberpunk and crazy and the world was crazy with it, but, like, it was just boring as shit? Like, it's just all boring, <laughs> boring, terrible, nothing applesauce grayness. And you're like, yep, that's 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 the cyberpunk future we probably deserve. Just too, too tired to give a shit. So Dolby Atmos, uh, Disney Plus, please let me listen to things in stereo, I beg of you. That's my rant for today. It's not even particularly helpful. I just have it on the inside and it needs to be on the outside where now it can go live in somebody else. <laughs> oh, no, I, I would say that's that's very helpful because it's the, the, there's a, a thing that my partner talks about a lot that brings me down, which we call the death of a thousand cuts, which is if you give me one problem to deal with, I'm fine. If you give me 35 tiny problems to deal with, I will go fetal. <laughs> and it, it it will just it will just take a it'll take a long time i'll deal with like six or seven of them and then it will just slowly bring me down and that's that's what a lot of, of the last few years has felt like you know with without trying to get all all kind of deep and and such but i i, I read a thing from naomi alderman a couple of days ago the, the lady who wrote zombies run in the power and she said the the thing that no one is really talking about is how we all have some level of persistent trauma now and it's partially because of the ongoing pandemic it's partially because of the rise of of the grifter idiot bigot scum that have inflicted themselves upon the western world uh and all of this stuff but you 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 find it very difficult and i use the royal you i guess it's the royal you that's kind of legitimate oh my god my dad's so happy i just used the word legitimate to what i'm talking about you don't see sometimes that everything is harder than it used to be. And it's it's really weird to me to think that on the one hand, as, as someone who is now closer to my 50th birthday than I've ever been before, on the one hand, I often find myself going, is this because I'm getting older? And a lot of the rest of the time I go, no, it's just because things are actually kind of shit everywhere at every level. Now, uh, I mean, you, you you mentioned HBO Max, and my brain instantly went, ah, yes, the TV network bought by a man who hates and fears television. Good, continue. It's full <laughs> of stuff like that. You know, it's just, every, it feels like the, the, default, the, the default response at every kind of institutional level for a very long time now has been, what is the stupidest, most dangerous thing we can do? Let's do that. And out of our control and every other element of it is it's out of our control you know and it, it it's hard to deal with so i absolutely sympathize with you on the could i not 
please have to plug in fucking headphones so I can hear something just once, please. Thank you. I, I feel that in my chest, Brock. I truly do. <laughs> well, do you have a caring story for us today? Yeah, I do. It kind of speaks to what we were talking about last episode. The UK is having a time at the moment. If if the UK was a person, it would be wearing a hoodie and eating ramen noodles and just watching MASH on the loop right now. Uh, it's not great over here. And it's there's a whole bunch of reasons I won't go into because they're not relevant to the story. But the, the kind of the, the rock that has been dropped into the existential pool that is normal island and the ripples that we are all still feeling is, of course, the fact that the Queen died. A little while ago. Now, before we go any further, I want to set some terms. I'm not a royalist. You know, my family name is Stuart. My dad is on record as saying that he firmly believes that there's only a certain amount of royal family members who need to die before he gets the call, capital T, capital C. Uh, you know, I'm not fond of it as an establishment. But the simple truth of the matter is that this, this person ran the country or was seen to run the country for an astonishing amount of time and that means that when she finally passed on we and i'm i'm being non-pejorative here lost our collective shit uh i'm sure you you saw the footage of the queue i'm sure you like i are waiting <laughs> like a terrified child beneath the feet of a kaiju for the first terrible trailer for a very special bbc event love in the queue because you fucking know you fucking know someone's writing that shit yeah, one day in into the the queue to see her lying in state, my brain went. Alan Bennett and Steven Soderbergh are facing off like the world's worst Fast and Furious race for pink slips right now. They're both right until their fucking fingers bleed trying to get something out the door. Someone's gonna finance it. It's gonna win an Oscar and it's gonna be fucking awful. But basically, what happened was the country is shut down for two weeks and everyone processed their feelings about how lovely she was or yelled about how one of her sons was a friend of Epstein and another dared to have the audacity to marry a woman who was both American and not white. <laughs> it, it was a time. It continues to, 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 to be a time. I'm genuinely amazed Elton John wasn't wheeled out. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they, they looked at it. But the phrase which I, I have here is, is specific gravity. The specific gravity of all of this is, is all but impossible to escape. To borrow from an old Henry Rollins routine, eating an omelette that tastes really good, asking what's in it and being told, I don't know, maybe dog. You know, we, we have a king now. The post boxes need to be changed. For over, for almost twice in my lifetime, QCs, a very specific type of lawyer, were called QCs because they were Queen's Council. Now they don't exist anymore. They're King's Council. There is a vast amount of tiny changes which are being made to this country as we speak. The money's all going to have to change. The post boxes, like I say. Oh, as for the first time, we shamble towards the general strike that has been needed here for two decades, at least. Suddenly, all the industrial action was postponed because a very, very, very rich lady whose funeral cost millions passed away. And we were all supposed to be sad. Now, I was introduced to death at a very early age. I have a huge amount of respect and bluntly fear for it. But at the same time... I, I can see the edges, and the last week tonight material about the Queen's death was cut in this country because it wasn't viewed as being respectful, and I've read the transcript, and it was. The closest that they got to a, a nasty line was was something about how a very old lady has died of natural causes, and it exposes the worst elements of the stratified decaying wedding cake of classism that normal island truly is and in this week's ted talk i will walk you through all this except 
don't worry, I won't. Because, as is often my want when these, this type of thing happens, I try and find something interesting inside it, something which is, which provides, if not an unusual perspective, then at least a slightly different one. And that's how I got to considering the bees. So here's how this goes. When someone dies in a house which keeps bees, the bees have to be told so they can mourn. This process is described in the 1901 work of Samuel Adams Drake, a book of New England legends and law and folklore and prose and poetry. And here's the quote. Good wife of the house to go and hang the stand of hives with black, the usual symbol of mourning. She at the same time softly humming some doleful tune to herself. So let's, before we dive into this, because I have some more classical literature quotes, because I'm a classy motherfucker. Um, <laughs> let's express this as, as plainly as we possibly can. The bees, the colonies of bees, the fuzzy-butted, perpetually endangered species which make honey, have to be told when someone they know has died. So, there's a German song quoted on Wikipedia which does this quite well. Here, there, the line is, Little bee, our lord is dead. Leave me not in my distress. And the thing which I find interesting about all of this is that it treats the bees as equals. As members of the family, if you want to be dark about it, as members of the house staff. But I'm choosing to see the sunny side of things on this one. There are also, by the way, reports of the male head of the household, because of course the women are presumably doing things involving sewing and cake, knocking on the beehive until the attention of the bees was secured, and boy would I love to know how that was done, and saying in a low voice that such or such a person mentioning the name was dead. The key to the family home was also traditionally used as a knocker to bang on the hives to inform them of a member of the family passing. Actually, reading all of that back, it looks an awful lot more like instead of being trapped in the kitchen doing cake and sewing things, the women were like, yeah, all right, Dave, you uh, you go wake up the 5,000 bees and tell them, tell them that uh, Uncle Silas is dead. You, you do that. <laughs> Has he gone? Yeah. Lock the door. Let's watch. Oh, and the bees were invited to the funeral, too, a lot of the time. Oh, fantastic. They should be. Right? I choose to believe in tiny hats. Uh, there's also multiple reports of, in fiction at least, beehives being draped in black mourning cloth. In and amongst all this, the one which I thought was really very sweet is that when a beekeeper died, food and wine from the funeral would be left at the hives, which would also be lifted a few inches and put down at the same time the coffin was lowered into the ground. And they'd also be turned to face the procession. Now, all of this sounds really chintzy and sweet, right? Yet, when the bees weren't told about what would happen, they made their displeasure felt. There's an example I found on Wikipedia of a Norfolk family who bought a hive of bees at auction from a farmer who had recently died, and because the bees had not been put into mourning for their late master, as it was described, they were sickly and not likely to thrive. However, when the new owners tied a piece of crepe to a stick and attached it to the hive, the bees soon recovered, an outcome that was, and this is a quote, unhesitatingly attributed to their having been put into mourning. Now, there's the very simple, very kind of honest human thing of grieving for someone who you've lost here. There's also the externalization of it, the you grieve by assisting someone else. And there's also the best fucking horror movie no one has ever made yet. <laughs> Wake up, Shudder. Where is this shit? Where's don't don't tell the queen bee the babysitter's dead? Where's the the Babadook, but with added honey? I want to watch this thing. That'd be great. So all of this brings us back to the queen and the fact that um, as part of the small as a small but perfectly formed 
part of the official 10-day-long process of shifting monarchs that occurred here a few weeks ago, the bees were told the queen had died. Now, this was quite a job because there are 100,000 bees at Buckingham Palace. And whilst we know for a fact the corgis that she owned have now gone to another home, no one said anything about the bees. I'm not saying they've declared independence, but I'm not not saying that. <laughs> so yeah, telling the bees that, that, that someone they know has died. That, that, that tickled me this week. What's the caring that goes with this? News doesn't travel as fast as you think, especially bad news. When you have things you have to deal with, it's very easy to assume that you have to deal with them alone, especially if you're a cishet white dude because we're conditioned to assume that anything else gets us killed in war. Don't do that. News say out loud, you're bad, because the pain of articulating it is balanced out by the relief of letting someone else help carry it. Tell it to the bees. They deserve to know. And you deserve to be helped. That was a, that was a nice one. What the fuck? Thank you. <laughs> I know, right? I feel like uh, bringing up the, that the, the Queen material was censored. I was expecting a year to go much darker to make up for it for your countrymen. But, uh, yeah, that was nice. Thank you. I want to I wanna go tell the bees. <laughs> what do you have for us this week, Brock? Uh, so I've got uh, the Catatumbo Lightning. Catatumbo is a river uh, in Venezuela, and uh, at night, every night, about 160 days a year, it does 10 hours worth of constant lightning. It's just nothing but lightning uh, over this one lake. And like, wow, look it up on YouTube. It's it's just like looking at a strobe light, but like the, just intense lightning. It's never one at a time. It's always like four at a time. It's uh, it's just out of control. And it's over this lake uh, with this river connecting it. Uh, and so it always there's just always storm clouds there, which by itself is very nope. Um, just like, why, why is there always a cloud here? Um, which I find fascinating, but yeah, it can go 16 to 40 times per minute. And it does so again, 10 hours a night. Yeah. It's just constant. So people, when they first found it, thought that there was like some sort of extended ship war happening. They're like, there are just a lot of, there's a big fight happening over there. We can't see it, but certainly that's cannons or something. It's impressive enough that, like, it's mentioned in the state's anthem. At different times in history, they've referred to it as the the lighthouse of Mara Siabo. Because uh, there's like, look, you you know where you are when you see that light. Like, it's, uh, it is what it is. So they've never really cracked why it is, but they think that it's a combination of a bunch of different things, which is that, like, over this lake, there's a bunch of cold air and a bunch of warm air, and it's always there. It's always in this sort of pressure differential thing, and it's out in the middle of nowhere, like, not just for people, but nowhere in terms of, like, any other sort of, like, land or other naturally occurring things. So it's just, like, a lake with nothing around there that could possibly get involved, no trees, no what have you. There's also an insane amount of methane, it turns out, produced by the swamps at the edge of it. So it's just sort of like a bunch of gunpowder, basically. Like, there's also oil deposits there. It's like they put everything flammable possible into the air and water, and, uh, and then a cloud just oh lives above it being goodness. angry all of the time. I feel like if you were going to be a Frankenstein... 
that's the place to go. You're going to get the, the lightning <laughs> you need to charge those batteries uh, every night. Um, I find the lightning capital of, of the world just a, a, a beautiful, fun thing, but also uniquely terrifying to me. Uh, I've always carried a real fear of being struck by lightning, especially because I know that it shoots out of your hands and uh, feet and turns your fingernails and toenails black. Oh my god! Yeah, I never knew about that part, but that seems like worth it. Like if you're str- if you're struck by lightning, you should have some some Jean Grey uh, vibes about you. Like you 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 get some crazy color in your hair or something. So anyway, the caring on this one is um, you're quite special, and we can see why others have taken notice. You seem so engaging, so bold, so striking. In fact, you seem to be striking in all directions, or all directions are striking at you. Sometimes it can be difficult to see which direction energy is moving or who controls it, but there is no denying the connections here. You reach for the stars and they reach back, and more often than not, this gets somebody burned. What we appreciate about you is how you just keep reaching. Yeah, it can feel like you're the world record holder in getting burned the most, but maybe it is all worth it to watch how every choice you make lights up the world and especially your own sky. You make the air cling to our skin and our hair stand on end. Night after night, we'll be there to watch. Even if we aren't there, we know you'll still put on the show. You're a dizzying show, even when it hurts, and that impossible spark, it never stops bursting. Flash on. That's beautiful. You're beautiful. One, the, 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 the two things I've, I've, I've missed the most about us not being able to record for a little while are firstly getting to talk to you because you are one of my favorite humans on earth and secondly because god fucking damn it you can write dude that's brilliant (laughs) come on bud no 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 no. i find it it, it's exceptionally easy to write these because we're always just already in awe of what it is like the idea behind what we're writing about is always so impressive that like that would be the hard part is like i don't know what do you want to write about the place on earth where lightning strikes the most all day every day you're right. I wouldn't have <laughs> thought of that one. I think I have feelings about it I would like to share. Like, <laughs> this, this show comes together on its own. <laughs> Thank you, world, for being so fucking weird. Right? I, I, I have listened to the vast hole in, is it Uzbekistan one? Yeah. On a couple of occasions. And, and that, I don't know why that's part of my happy place, but it is. Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> Do you have any self-care for this week? Yeah, I do. Um, I have an ongoing dialogue with snacking as a concept. Some would say it's more of a conversation than a dialogue at this point. And it's been sharpened to a point by two plus years of global pandemic. I found a two-stage thing that really works, and I hate that it works, but it does. The first stage is there is now a post-it note on the inside of the cabinet where, you know, the fun stuff lives, which reads, are you hungry or are you bored? And the amount of times I have opened that cupboard, looked at that note and gone, God fucking damn it. And then close the cupboard again is is non-zero. And the second one, to my rank amazement, is Costco. We have like three big box stores in this country, and I we're very lucky to be relatively near a Costco. And my partner is Californian, so every now and again she just needs to step into an atmosphere that is more American than it is, you know, chintzy home county fascism. <laughs> Uh, so we, we went there a little while ago, and we got this box of peanut bars with about 30 in them for the price I'd pay for five anywhere else. And as I write this, we're rocking up on three weeks into the purchase, and there's like half the box left. So while big box capitalism is a hellscape we will never escape, sometimes it does help you be less snacky. <laughs> do you have one for us this week? I do, I do. Yeah, my self-care for this week is, um, look, I'm coming out of a period of a couple of years here where I've been... Uh, 
missing the point on some stuff. There's so much in my life that I've been looking at as responsibilities instead of uh, things I appreciate. It starts with my cats. I love my cats so very much. They're one of the most important things in the world to me. But, like, I reached the point where I started to become, like, offended or annoyed by the fact that I have to clean their litter box. It's really weird that if I put food into something, poop comes out. They're asking a lot of me, and sometimes it smells. And that sort of thing has been applying to relationships in my life, my friends, my job, my house. Like, I forgot that I had everything that makes me happy. And instead, I just kept seeing things like, I love where me and my wife live. It's a, it's a beautiful house, but all I can see is the broken fence that I need to watch a YouTube video to figure out how to mend or the garage door that I know I need to pay somebody an insane amount of money to replace. Everything just starts being responsibilities. And I, I really just got stuck in a place of being annoyed by everything I love. I have my dream job and all I can see is the frustration and the stress and the tension. And I took a little time recently to reset on all that. And now I'm back, and I'm, uh, I'm treating everything as a reward instead of a responsibility. Last night I cleaned out the litter boxes, the happiest I ever have, because, shit, I have my cats. Like, they are a part of my life. I'm so happy that, that it should take two minutes of my time every day to put their poop into a bag and take it outside. Like, should not bother me the way it bothered me. And I'm sort of reevaluating how I apply that to, like, everything in my life. So reward instead of responsibility. That's a mantra that's been cycling my brain drain here a lot lately, and it's it's made my life a lot a lot more enjoyable to just see it as as the work that goes in to, to have everything that you want versus the work that is just work for work's sake. So that's my self-care. Do you have a sharing into the void this week? I do. Um, I may have mentioned this before, but I'm really, really fond of uh, an Apple TV show called Central Park. Thematically, it's very similar to Bob's Burgers. It's actually the same production house. And it follows the family of the senior park warden at Central Park and their ongoing attempts to stop Bitsy Landingham, a two-foot-tall, scorpionic grandmother billionaire who runs a nearby hotel from buying the park. Now, so far, this all sounds so animated series, right? Where it rubs some funk on it is in the casting. Bitsy, who is, as I say, a two-foot-tall, square grandmother of pure evil, is voiced by Stanley Tucci. And I can honestly say I don't think he's ever had more fun. <laughs> At one point, he gets to screech the deathless line, Helen, put on another pot of hot gin. I have an idea. And it just, it all sits <laughs> in that, that kind of space. Helen, his aide, is played by David Diggs who has never been more laconic and laid back than he is here. Emmy Raver Lampman, Leslie Odom Jr., Catherine Hahn are also parts of the regular, regular cast. H. John Benjamin shows up because it's an animated show, and there's some kind of law where you have to have H. John Benjamin show up, and I'm not mad at that law. Uh, oh, and it's a musical. There's like four songs an episode, and each episode's 25 minutes long. One of those episodes, one of those songs is uh, David Diggs rapping about how great Weehawken is. And honestly, it is a moment of peak television I never thought I would encounter. Well, I got to the end of it and I was like, no, that's perfect. I would never in for a second have thought of that. It's funny, but it's also sincere. Yep, I'm here. I'm here for this. Let's go. Uh, it's on Apple TV now. There are two complete seasons and the third season is most of the way through. And if you have access to it, it's very much worth your time. Fantastic. I will finally watch it. Excellent. Do you have one for us? Yeah, uh, my sharing this week, I got into some video games for a while that I was playing on my laptop, which I don't usually play games on my laptop. I usually more of a console guy. 
Uh, but uh, finally played XCOM 2, and I, I grew up loving the XCOM series and, and just hadn't gotten back to it because uh, turn-based stuff isn't the greatest on uh, on consoles. So sat down and had a weekend. I was like, you know, I'm finally going to play XCOM 2. And holy shit, was that great. And I was like, you know what? Time for more turn-based uh, games. And so I got real into just an incredible run of different XCOM likes where if you haven't played before, you you take your turn, you move your little guys around a map, the other player goes, they move their guys around a map, you shoot at each other, do whatever, and then usually there's a meta game outside of the battles where you build bases and research technology and invest in things and so on and so forth. Uh, so I, I finished XCOM 2, I played uh, Phoenix Point, which is a game made by the original XCOM team, which is just S XCOM but with crab people. Uh, which I was like, cool, crab people. Hey, I love crab people. Love crab people. Uh, Phantom Doctrine, uh, which is this sort of thing, but set uh, with Cold War spies, which, uh, boy, howdy, big fan of that one. That hit a lot of my buttons. And then uh, Empire of Sin, which is one that's uh, a Chicago mob boss simulator. Yeah, a, a, a sort of uh, fictionalized world where every single mob boss throughout history is occupying Chicago at the exact same time, uh, and you're running various rackets and prostitution rings and speakeasies and stuff and, and trying to do diplomacy with people, but then sometimes getting machine guns out and uh, go into the mattresses so I, I don't know what got the bee in my bonnet to be like i want to play a lot of the exact same kind of game uh in a lot of different time periods but that was something that uh i just uh you don't need to do what i did but really any one of these is nice especially because i uh as as you and i often pontificate upon multiplayer games are are annoying anything that asks us to be constantly engaged or not to have the ability to pause doesn't usually work for people like us that have a lot going on so a game that i can stand up from at literally any point and walk away from for hours and come back and no time has passed uh nothing has happened that's that's great the ability to just uh, decide when and how time moves forward that's a that's a god power and i like that one it's helping me enjoy that entertainment i can't do that with a tv show so uh, it's uh, good to put on in the corner and just, uh, it's like playing a game of chess and I don't have any real rush. I can just sort of chess my way through things. So I dig that. That's a really smart way of looking at it. I'm just, I'm just trying to find a way to explain why I sunk a hundred hours into video games when I had real world shit to do. So there we go. <laughs> and speaking of fun, <laughs> if you had fun on the show and we do, please consider leaving a review on your podcatcher of choice. Or perhaps if you want to blog about us, that would be great. If you want to tweet about the show, that would be great too. We love that kind of thing. Um, likewise, if you enjoyed it and you want to show your support in the physical world, we can heartily recommend the Carrying Into the Void store run by the mighty Jordan Shively, one of the originators of the show, graphic designer par excellence, all around just deeply excellent human being and creator of just endless waves of really, really fu smart, fun, cool merchandise, several bits of which involve us. So if you can, check out Void Merch and pick up some stuff from Jordan or leave a review for us. And either way, thank you. You, you said you if you want to show your support in the physical world, and I thought you were about to dox me. <laughs> if you want to show your support in the physical world, I really need a coffee. Here's my address. Oh, wait. <laughs> No, we don't do that. But what we do do 
is sign off because I think we're, we're, we're pretty much done for the week. Brock, you want to go first? Yeah, I'm Brock Wilbur. You can find me at Brock Wilbur most anywhere that there is a Brock Wilbur. Fantastic. I am Alistair Stewart. You can find me at Alistair Stewart on Twitter and at my spanky new website, which is also AlistairStewart.com which has content on it and subscribe to the full lid one of the best parts of my weeks and subscribe <laughs> to the full lid thank you brock thank you my partner edits me on a weekly pop culture newsletter called the full lid which is full of basically things we've encountered that week which we thought were good and me talking about them at length so those are the, those are the places you can find me thank you so much for joining us folks thank you so much as ever brock you are the best um we will see you next time and remember keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many and we will see you in the void unless the void sees you first ah! bye 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 <laughs>